Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm very excited to have my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeffrey Dorn, in the studio. We're going to continue our Bible Bible uh, series. If you are uh, new to God's Word, or maybe it's just really good to refresh, um, this has been a great study. We started at uh, 101, 201, 301, 401. Today, we're at 501, so we're getting into the more graduate-level classes and today might be pulled off in an hour. It might take two hours to get through it. I'm not sure, but um, we're going to get started. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. So I have to tell you, because uh, I want to do a little promotion for tomorrow's show, yep. how excited I am about tomorrow's show. Ask me why. Why, Bill? Uh, well, I'm interviewing Bill Arnold tomorrow. <laughs> how are you going to do that? Well, um, Dr. Bill T. Arnold oh. is an Old Testament professor. And I've been wanting him on my show forever. So and Bill Arnold's going to interview Bill Arnold tomorrow. Very fun. I can hardly wait. Where is he from? Uh, he's out in Pennsylvania somewhere. I think he's at Asbury Theological Seminary. Cool. There's... And I, first time I met him was uh, my one of my pastors, Leith Anderson at Wooddale. Mm-hmm. He said, Leith said to me, you know, I think of you often. I go, oh, is that ever nice? <laughs> and he said, well, the only reason I think of you is because I use Bill T. Arnold's Old Testament commentaries all the time. Very cool. I said, and then that prompts you to think of me. How nice. There's another Jeff Verdorn, too. Is there really? Yeah, there is. He, and he lives in Minneapolis or the Twin Cities area. And he got a ticket once and it went on my record. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had to fight. Well, I, I had like, to go to court. And I'd fight like to it. have him on the show as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Bill Arnold is on the show tomorrow night during the Old Testament series. We're going to talk about Moses. I know we've talked about Moses uh, already, but he's got a different perspective on Moses. So that's going to be not. To be missed radio. And I Dr. will check. What hour? Uh, five o'clock. Okay. Five I o'clock. listen often. Five o'clock you know. central. I know you do. Okay. I appreciate that. You bet. I just think it's a riot because he's going to say intelligent things. And then I'm going to say, you know who said that? Bill Arnold said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there could be some integrity issues, but nevertheless, it's going to be fun. That sounds a lot of fun. I will yeah. listen. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into uh, 501. Cool. Well, uh, Bible, Bible. As Here we, we are. Uh, it, I, I think we'll start just a quick little review of 101, 201, and so on. In the last four sessions of this series, uh, starting in 101, we looked, kind of talked about the Bible. Uh, how is it inspired by God? We looked at some of the internal evidences, including fulfilled prophecy, which is one of the greatest evidences of that this is divinely inspired that there is. In 201, we looked at some of the external evidences. So some of the historical and archaeological evidence that the Bible is a reliable historical document. Um, 301, we looked at kind of the, the principles of hermeneutics, how we study our Bible. And we made a big deal out of the context of the Bible and understanding the plain sense of the word. And also that God has given you the Holy Spirit and that he really will teach you. So as you seek him and study his word, he will teach you the things in his word. And then 401, we had a a handout that we used to talk about, well, how do we now apply the word, the sanctifying power 
of the word in our own lives. We talked about using the word to teach and correct and rebuke because it's useful for training in righteousness. And uh, we talked about false teachers and false prophets uh, bringing a false gospel and so on. So now in the, I guess, the graduate level, um, we are going to move from from what about the Bible, talking about the Bible, to what's in the Bible and the truths, the precepts, the doctrines that are in the Bible. Um, and I have a list, and a, a friend of mine had asked me, you know, what are the core truths of the Bible? And I started listing them out. I used to be a, a collector of statements of faith. Um, your your organization, your church, have you ever read the statement oh, yeah. of faith? Yeah. And oh, yeah. you've gone through it. Well, I oh, used yeah. to kind of collect those from different ministries and groups that I've I know or have been involved in and see, you know, what did they say? are some of the most important truths uh, out of the Bible that they put down in their statement of faith. So this is a little bit kind of like my own personal statement of faith. And it ended up being 20 items, 20 truths, 20 doctrinal truths uh, that we're going to walk through uh, that are described in Scripture. Um, One of the earliest attempts to uh, put down on paper a statement or a creed is called the Apostles' Creed. This was done in the second century A.D. Uh, By the way, it was not written by the Apostles, but it's called the Apostles' Creed. And I wanted to go through this quick because many folks in in many different churches would often repeat this phrase, and it's got some really good truths in it. So it says this, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Now, he I, I would love to change that <laughs> to Hades, because where did Jesus go when he died? He, he went to Hades, technically, but he went down in the earth, just as Matthew says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he descended in this place called Paradise, or the bosom of Abraham side of this place called Hades. So I wanted to clarify that real quick. The third day he rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, He sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now one last comment. The Holy Catholic Church meant the true church. So the vernacular of the day, that's not a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. That's the reference to to the one true church of Jesus Christ. So, But there's a lot of stuff in there. And actually, we're going to touch on every single component that's in there today as we walk through these uh, 20 essential truths. Now, I think every Christian should consider themselves a theologian. Now, that's a big word, the study of God. So as you look at theology, the study of God, you look at anthropology, the study of man, you look at bibliology, the study of the Bible, Christology, the study of Christ, soteriology, the study of salvation, ecclesiology, the study of the church, eschatology, the study of end times, and epistemology, the study of truth. These are a lot of big word-ologies, right? But it's just saying These are the different categories in which we need to be familiar with that we need to study as we approach God's 
word. And all of those things together make up this this concept of being a, a, a theologian. We want to be studiers of the truths of God's word. And so that's what we're going to do. Acts 17 says it this way. Paul says, now the Bereans were more noble of nor of more noble character than those in Thessalonia. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Well, if they're commended for for checking out what Paul said and being exhorted to searching the scriptures every day to see if what he said was true, well then I think that's exactly how we should we should respond. Every radio program, every book we read, every preacher we hear we should be Bereans and search the scriptures for ourselves to see if what they say is true. Jeff, could I interject something yep. real quick? I, I love this comment um, about the Bereans, this verse about the Bereans, but I also realized that the Bereans, when they went home at night, didn't have their own personal copy of the Bible <laughs> to do their own personal study. They had to gather and discuss. They did. They uh, uh, The printed word was rare. Uh, you had handwritten scrolls. There's probably one copy in a small town in the synagogue or, and now uh, amongst the early church. Um, yeah, so they, they didn't have, and they didn't have it on their iPhones. Right. And they didn't have all the tools that we have today. The Word of God is more accessible to more people than today than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet we don't spend as much time reading it and studying it like they did uh uh, in those days today. I've, I've, I often quote this line I heard a long time ago, the average American owns more Bibles than the number of minutes they spend a day reading it. Wow. That's kind of convicting, isn't it? It is convicting. All right. So we are to test everything and hold on to that which is good, right? First Thessalonians uh, 5, uh, I believe. So So what are the truths? So I guess we just, let's just jump in and let's start discussing the 20 essential truths that are in Scripture. So number one, the nature of God. This is, I mean, we could spend two hours on the nature of God, but number one is you have to understand the nature and the character uh, of the the one who wrote this book. Uh, He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's infinite. He's without limit. He has no end. He's eternal both in history backwards and and forward. He knows all things. He knows the past and the present and the future. He says he knows every hair on our head. He knows what we're going to pray before we even say it. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows you. He knows your deepest thoughts and desires. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. Scripture says that he's a God of love. Um. He is righteous and holy. He's perfect. There's no evil or sin or lying in him. Uh, Scripture says he's a God of truth. Uh, He is spirit. He's the creator, as we're going to see in point number four. Um, He is immutable. That means he never changes. He's he's always the same. He's always God. Um, He's sovereign over all creation. Um, which means that he's the one who made this. He's the one who's going to bring it to conclusion. He's the one who's going to make all things new. In the end, his will will be done. He's full of mercy and grace. He's just. He's fair. He's good. He's a good God, and he cares 
for people, and he loves people. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Amen? So, and he's faithful to all that he promises. But if we don't understand all of his promises, we might be trusting God for something that he never promised or don't understand what he's promised, right? So we got to understand his word and his promises. It's a very important point, Jeff. I think some people are mad that God didn't fulfill a promise God never intended. Uh, yeah, They it, make something up and say God promised this. Especially, I've seen this, especially when it comes to tragedy within a family. Mm-hmm. If you've lost a loved one or a spouse or a child or parents or whatever, and, and you think God has promised in some way that they would heal them physically in this world, uh, I don't find that promise in Scripture. Can God heal? Amen. Absolutely. Yep. He can. absolutely can. Yep. yep. Let's take a break. Jeff Redorn's my guest. We're continuing our Bible Bible uh, series, and we're in 501, and we're going to hopefully get this done today. We might do it in two parts, but either way, we're going to get through all of it. We'll be right back. Bible Bible study. We're in 501 today. If you're keeping track, if you've missed any of the earlier episodes, I hope that you had a chance to go listen to them on the podcast. You can always go to myfaithradio.com. Check it out. Hopefully Rosie will assemble these all on one page or we'll do something creative to make them accessible and easy for people to find. But today we're talking about 20 Christian essentials. And I think, Jeff, we're going to jump into the Trinity now. Yeah, so number two is in our understanding of the nature of God, number one, we're going to move to the Trinity, number two, that, you know, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, And virtually every Jew knows that phrase. It's actually the opening of the the Shema or the saying, and uh, it's a central teaching of Judaism, that God is one. There's one God. And yet we see that God has revealed himself in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. And that's this concept of the Trinity. We actually see glimpses of the Trinity very early on in Scripture. For example, in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created. The word for God there is Elohim, which is a plural word. Why would God use a plural word for God if he was one, except that this concept of the Trinity. It goes on and it says in verse uh, Genesis one twenty six, let us make man in our image. So once again, we've got these hints of this triune nature of God. And of course, once we get to the New Testament, we have many examples because Jesus is now God in the flesh. Um, one of the clearest representations of this is at Jesus' baptism, where in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is being baptized. He's in the water. The Holy Spirit is descending on 
God the Son, and God the Father is in heaven, and you hear his voice from heaven. So there's the three persons of the Trinity right then and there. So this is... Uh, um, you know, Jeff, that's the day I would, you know, leave the baptism early to beat the traffic. You know, that's <laughs> I'd miss that. <laughs> There's also other examples of of, of of different concepts that declare the triune nature of God. For example, the power of the resurrection is described that Jesus was raised by the power of God. Jesus is raised by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it. Well, who raised Jesus from the dead? God, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus? Well, the answer is yes, God did. And here it's represented in the triune nature. So they all claim to have raised Jesus from the dead because it's all God. God just reveals himself in three three persons. Now, this is a very hard and difficult um, doctrine to truly understand how does one God appear in three persons. But just a quick reminder, we've done this study on this show a number of times, that we are actually a three-part being as well. We are comprised of our body, our soul, and our spirit. So we are a three-part being, mm. yet we are one. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the best way I can try to help uh, the listeners understand, well, what does it truly mean to be one God yet three person? Well, we're one, and yet we have a body, soul, and spirit. Well said. All right. Script, uh, by the way, this concept that Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is a central truth of Christianity. And there are some Christian organizations out there, specifically um, you know, Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses, who deny that Jesus is God in the flesh. All right, so that is a very uh, critical distinction between Orthodox Christianity, which says Jesus is God in flesh, and uh, versus uh, these these other two. We call that a deal breaker. It is a deal breaker, mm-hmm. actually. Yes. Uh, number three, the scriptures. Well, we've just spent four lessons talking about, or four shows talking about the scriptures, uh, talking about how the Old Testament and New Testament are inspired. Um, so we won't go into this one. Um, uh, greatly, but just remember Second Timothy three sixteen that says all scriptures God breathed useful for training in righteousness. If you are struggling with your Christian walk, chances are you are not spending enough time studying God's word and being transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are all programmed by the world in so many ways. We listen to radio and TV and commercials and music and uh, people and news, and we are being programmed by the world. And guess what? The world's ways are often 180 degrees opposite of God's ways. So we need to understand God's ways. And the only way to do that is through the study of God's word. All right, enough said. Four, creation. This is, I'm actually doing a class right now. um, My evening class that I'm doing is called In the Beginning, and we are studying all things about creation. Um, so right here, right now, here are a couple of core truths. Everything that exists was made by God. By the breath of his mouth, he spoke everything into existence, right? Nothing is made that was made except by God. Um, and in the New Testament, so that's in the beginning, God created. But you get to the New Testament and you understand that it's through Jesus 
that God made the universe because Jesus is God. So it says, for example, in John 1, it's through him, Jesus, that all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1 says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. So it's actually through Christ that the universe was made and everything in it. So Jesus made this earth. He gives life to everything, and he comes to man, and man kills their very creator. Amazing, isn't it? What about Hebrews 1, 2, Jeff? And through him, he made the universe. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. there's many places in Scripture that proclaim that that God made everything and declares his glory, the skies and everything that's made declared his glory so that Romans 1, so that man is without excuse. We should be able to open up our eyes and see creation and inherently know in our heart that there is a creator. Just as if you were to look upon a painting, you know every single person that ever looks at that painting will know that someone painted it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In the same way, we should look at creation and know in our heart of hearts that someone created it, and that is God, and the Word declares it. But yes, there's many places that God, through Christ, made everything. There's zero pushback in the studio right now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Core truth, an essential yes. truth, creation. All right, man. we got a few minutes here. We can do man here. Number five, man, all men and women— were created in the image of God, a three-part being, as we talked about, Mm -hmm. body, soul, and spirit. And originally, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, made male and female by God in the Garden, were united with God. They were spiritually alive. We are made in the image of God. Every single person on the planet is made in the image of God. Now, that means a lot of things. God is a loving God. We can be loving creatures. God is a creative God. We can be creative. We are designed for fellowship. God is a fellowship God. There's many, many ways in which we are made in the image of God and, uh, and, and this three-part nature as well. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. In the Bible, by the way, there's no gender confusion. Um, he made them male and he made them female. Genesis 2, 24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. Now, there is a phrase that is often used by the world that's not true. And that is being a child, that we're all children of God. That is actually not true. All men are created in the image of God, but not all people are children of God. That phrase, children of God, is reserved for those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For John 1.12 says, Yet all that receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That's an important distinction, Jeff, because we hear it all the time. People outside the family of God saying we're all children of God. It's important to know we're all created in God's image, but only John 1.12, those who receive him are adopted into the family. We'll take a break. Jeff Redorn's my guest. We're going to continue Bible Bible. We're at 501. We'll be right back. Show with Bill Arno, Prime Time, Drive Time, the 
Welcome back. My guest is Jeff Verdorn. We're continuing our study. We call this study Bible Bible because we're learning the foundations. We started at 101. We're all the way up to 501. But I do want to say before we rejoin Jeff in this discussion, if you want to have prayer, maybe there's something that you've got that's just really, really at the top of your heart right now and you need prayer, you can share your prayer requests with us here at Faith Radio. You can do that by texting or calling 877-933-2484, or you can go online to myfaithradio.com. The worst thing you can do is feel isolated or alone, or you don't know who can pray with you. We're wanting to pray with you, so let us know. You can always uh, send a text to 877-933-2484. Let us know what your prayer request is. All right, Jeff, we're back to uh, 501, and uh, I think when we last left off... We had gotten through uh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next one is the man, the first man, or Adam. And this is one of these that, I'm, uh, as I mentioned, I'm teaching a class called In the Beginning, and it's all about creation. It's all about Adam um, and the fall and so on, which we'll get to here in a minute as well. But um, there is there's a continuing, an, an increasing view that in some way, shape, or form, uh, God in, in the church, that God used evolutionary processes in order to bring about man. And uh, it's it's the funny thing about doctrine. As soon as you pull a thread and you start to pull one doctrine away, it, the, everything starts to unravel. It fits together so closely. And this concept that Adam is a literal man with a literal Eve in a literal garden— with a literal command not to eat from a literal tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they then did, and then a literal fall, is hugely theologically important. Why? Because if Adam doesn't fall, there is no need for a redeemer to come and redeem mankind from their fall. It's it's really that simple. So, I read a stat in my class just the other night that said up, upwards of 34% of Christians in the last few years uh, believe that evolution or the process of evolution is true and that it, there's a phrase called theistic evolution where it's just God-directed. God has directed the evolutionary processes, and it just doesn't work theologically. Jesus Christ is called the second Adam, the second man. Adam is the first man made by God. Jesus, in his incarnation, is the second man made by God. And so if there is no first man and his fall, there is no need for the second man, Christ, to come to redeem mankind of their sin. And by the way, the first prophecy for Christ is right after the fall. Uh, God starts talking about uh, this seed that is going to come. It's kind of a cryptic, kind of just a hint just a clue of what's going to come. But it's the, literally the first prophecy for Christ comes right after the fall. So I think it's hugely important that Adam was a literal man in a literal garden. Otherwise, there's no need for the second Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus, from heaven. 
And therefore, Romans 5 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned, Romans 5.19 then goes on to say, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. There is this connection between the first man, Adam, and the second man, Christ, that uh, that requires Adam to be a literal person, not some spiritualized story of how man got here, but an actual literal created man in a literal garden. And Jeff, I will also add to to this discussion that Adam is referred to many, many times in the New Testament. He is. Um, Jesus refers to him. Paul refers to Adam always as a literal person. And and one of the neatest places is in the genealogy of Christ. In Luke chapter 2, there's this genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam. Mm-hmm. Why in the world would Luke include a fictitious mythical character in the genealogy of the Messiah. Yeah, good point. So, yeah. All right, so the fall. So we've already, number seven is the fall. So the seventh truth is what we actually just talking about when we were talking with Adam, that that Adam was created good. He was created perfect. He was, he's, God made him and he saw all was good, right? So Adam was good. God did not create evil. Let me repeat this. God did not create evil. I know there's some circles in Christianity that says, well, God is sovereign over all, and he causes all things to happen, and that includes evil, and he does that. He does evil for his glory. And I just, man, I, I, I have a visceral reaction to that kind of teaching, that God causes evil for his glory. I, that just does not fit with the character of God that I see in God's word, and I I don't think it's true. You know, there's this there's this uh, old argument, philosophical argument. It's called the problem of evil, and unbelievers often will go to believers and say, "Well, if your God is truly a loving God and your God is truly all powerful, uh, and there's evil in this world, uh, then why doesn't He stop it? Well, He must not be all powerful, or He must not be all loving, because if He was, clearly He would stop evil." And it's, it's like, you know, they always think like, well, we got you on that one, right? And it's like, we have an answer to this. Christians, we have a simple answer to this problem of evil. God made things good, right? Even the fallen angel, Satan, was made good, but he chose to rebel, Isaiah 14. He chose, he said, I'm going to put my, you know, throne above that of the Most High God, and God knew it dealt with it, and cast him out of his place. And the same with man. Man was made good, but in their choice, God set them up and said, gave him a choice. Gave, he made free will agents that were able to either choose to obey and follow him or choose to disobey and to eat the for, forbidden fruit. And that's what man did, bringing evil to this world, bringing the fall to this world. And now after the fall, there's consequences, right? The woman had consequences after the fall. The man had consequences after the fall. Creation has been frustrated after the fall. 
You want an answer to the problem of evil? Read Genesis chapter three and the fall. It's 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 really that simple. There's also one more thing that I want to talk about with this problem of evil, and 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 this is really kind of a clever argument, because again, atheists will say, well, what about evil? How did evil come about? And 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 the existence of evil basically disproves God, right? And in reality, the fact that they're calling something and recognizing something as evil proves that there is a God. And you say, well, how in the world can that be? If you're calling something good and therefore calling something evil, that means you have a standard, a moral code in which you are describing events as either good or evil. Well, where did that moral code come from? And I submit that that comes from the moral code giver, God. So the very fact that we are calling something good and evil points to the existence of God. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, a famous Christian author and Christian book, said this. I won't quote the whole thing, just the first part of it. But he says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? And he goes on to describe that the fact that he was calling the world unjust points to the fact that he had a moral code, which must have come from someplace, a moral code giver, and that is God. Wouldn't they just ascribe it to humanity or something more generic? Like, well, well, that's just the way human beings should function. Some do good and others don't do good. There are some who are honest with this question and do say that and say, really, we have no basis for describing something as good or evil, right? It's just stuff that happens. Everything that happens is neither good nor is it evil. It just happens, right? So what you just described. And there are some who actually understand the, 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 the folly of their argument with evil and will go that far and to say, well, there really is no good. There really is no evil. There's just stuff that happens. But come on, when, when, a, when a child is, is killed, you know, by a, by a criminal or something is, is broken or stolen or, you know, there's tragedy in this world, we all know that there are good things that happen and there are bad things that happen. There is evil in this world. So, you, you have to basically cover your eyes to the reality of what the rest of us see, and that is clearly mankind sees good and mankind sees evil. And in order to see good and evil, you must have a standard, a moral code in which you are using uh, to ascribe good and evil. And that points to the moral code giver, mm. God. Cool. Sin. So what came into the world? Sin came into the world as a result of the fall. Romans 3.23, this is number 8, by the way, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person ever born on the planet has inherited the fallen nature from Adam and Eve. Every single person. So we've all sinned. We're all spiritually dead. That's what happened to Adam, by the way, that day. So at the fall, I guess I forgot to mention this, at the fall, God said, if you eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. 
Well, Adam and Eve walked out of the garden very much alive physically. So what died that day? Well, they died spiritually. Now that they had sinned, God, who was perfect and holy and righteous, could no longer be united with man who was now sinful. So he withdrew from Adam and Eve, and they died spiritually. And every single person on the planet is born spiritually dead ever since, except for one other man, the one born of a virgin, the one who was born not from reproductive processes, right? But his body was made in the womb of the virgin. Uh, That's his incarnation. That's number 12, I believe. We'll get to that. So we are all spiritually dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 says. And uh, the, the death that came to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 has now come to all men um, after the fall. So that's sin. And the consequences of sin is death. Number nine, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. Without salvation, without salvation, without Christ and the salvation that he offers, man will die physically and he'll die spiritually what is called in Scripture the second death. Um, I say it this way. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Okay? Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. What does that mean? It means that if you're just born physically, that means you'll die physically and you'll die spiritually, the second death in the lake of fire. If you are born physically and born spiritually... Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You must be born again, born of water, physical birth, and of spirit, made alive in Christ, being made alive once again spiritually as you are now united with Christ, united with God. Born twice, die once. You will die physically, but of a believer, Revelation says the second death no longer has any power over you you will now live eternally with him. So born twice, die once. Such good news. All right, Jeff, I'm not sure we're going to get through all 20 today, but I'm hopeful we'll do this in part two. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. Continuing our study, we call Bible Bible because we're laying the foundation. We are at 501 right now. We started at 101, so we're making some progress. We're going to do graduate level courses next, but uh, we're going to continue to get through 501. After a short break, we'll be right back. my guest. Question came in, Jeff. Um, this passage often taken out of context. Can you uh, can you weigh in on this one? In Isaiah 45, 7, it says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Yeah, it's, it's often used by those who want to say that God 
causes evil. Um, you know, God doesn't even cause, doesn't even tempt people, right? He does not even tempt people, let alone cause people to sin or cause evil. That passage, I think, can be understood more properly as God using calamity. He brings calamity on nations. He brings calamity on Israel. He, uh, yet, for example, use Babylon, for example. God uses the nation of Babylon to come and uh, take Israel out of their land and bring them to, to Babylon in, into captivity. He uses the evil that Babylon uh, throws at Israel for his purposes of judgment. But that doesn't mean that God causes Babylon to do that, right? He can use it and uses it for his purposes, but it doesn't mean that he causes evil. I just reject the idea that God does evil. He is a good God. It's it's also another passage that is used often. It pleased God that Jesus would be crucified on the cross. And it's like, it's, it's like they say that in the sense of what God is the one who caused man to crucify his son. And I, I just, I do, I reject that concept. Now, did God use the evil actions of men for his purposes? And if if you were standing at the foot of the cross and you knew that Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh, the maker of men, and he came to earth and, and you knew that, you would think, and, and man is now killing God in front of you, you'd think that's the worst evil, the worst event in human history. Mm. Three days later, God uses it for his purposes, this plan that he had from Genesis chapter 3, and it, and it moves from being the worst event in human history to being the greatest event in human history the resurrection of Christ. Mm. So I think that's one of the great promises of God, that he uses the evil of this world. Do you remember, um, do you remember um, uh, Joseph? Joseph is in Egypt, and his brothers sold him into slavery, right? And he spent his life in slavery, but then ends up rising to the top, and his brothers come to him to get food during the time of famine. Remember the seven years of famine? Mm-hmm. And his brothers were afraid because they thought this powerful brother of theirs now was going to have them killed or something. And he says this line is such a cool line. He says, what you meant for evil, God used for good. What a great picture. God did not cause Joseph's brothers to, to, to throw him in that well and sell him off into slavery. But God used it in the end, for his purposes. Isn't that a much better picture of God than one who's causing all this evil stuff in this world? I like it. All right, let's move on from sin. Let's move on to what sin causes. Uh, Death. So that's the born once, die twice, born twice, die once. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of Spirit. So, because of sin, death has come to all men. So, death is number nine. But fortunately, God doesn't leave us there, now does he? He knows that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He knows that we are, we, that death has come to all men because all have sinned, Romans 5, 
12, and yet God has a desire for all mankind. In 2 Peter 3, 9, he says this, The Lord is not slow to keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone come to repentance. So number 10 is God's desire for all mankind. God wants all men to be saved. He doesn't want any to perish. His heart, God's heart, is that all would turn to him in faith. 1 Timothy 2.4 says he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. In fact, he loved, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, every single person. If you are out there today and you don't know that God loves you, know this, take this one truth away, that God loves you. He sent his only son for you. He demonstrated this truth that he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sin and my sin and Bill Arnold's sin and everybody's sin uh, on this planet. And uh, and that's the next one, the incarnation. How much time do we have? We have about three minutes. Ooh, three minutes to do the incarnation. I don't think we have time for that. I know. It's... The, the, the incarnation is meaty. I don't. I think we wait. All right. So we got through ten. Well, let's call that half. <laughs> that would be exactly half. That's uh... twenty Christian essentials. Now, uh, Jeff, I think you did a, a masterful job of of dealing with this, and a, ni- a nice comment uh, as well regarding that question you answered. Um, so well stated. Thank you. Good. Yep. Very nicely done. And I know that people are going to have questions along the way. I know we've used. Uh, some great theological concepts. There are some words maybe that you uh, are going to have to look up in your own personal study, but I think Jeff's point is so well taken. Let's be like the Bereans. If you hear something that confuses you or something that you need some more uh, perspective on, go to God's Word and let Scripture interpret Scripture. Amen. And also, you know, there's some people that say don't use commentaries. I, I I find them to be helpful. I like um, Bill Arnold's comment, Bill T. Like Arnold. Bill T. Arnold's commentary on Old Testament. Who did I, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not. He's actually on the show tomorrow. <laughs> I heard that yeah. at the start of the show. During the uh, five o'clock uh, central time that where we do the Old Testament uh, study, uh, Peter Kaffner and I are going to be hosting Bill Arnold. So his name is Dr. Bill T. Arnold. Of course, he's an amazing Old Testament scholar. And, you know, I've been trying to get him on the show forever. For what? N- nothing else other than, hey, Bill, it's Bill. <laughs> <laughs> What's your middle initial? Uh, C. Initial C. C. So, and I have no doctor in front of my first name. So it's uh, it's going to be really a lot of fun. Well, I, I already know. I know the Bill Arnold. I don't know about the other Bill Arnold. I well, know this one. Yeah, I'm excited to meet him because I've heard about him for a long time. Very cool. And he was kind of reluctant to come on the show. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, say, what do you want to talk about? I said, Bill doesn't matter. We both have the same name. We can kill an hour just talking about we both have the same name. I wonder if you're related. I'll find out. I'll find out. Okay. Yeah. Probably not, though. I If he's good commentaries are worth their weight in gold, they can often bring clarification just to answer your commentary question. I like to go to the word first and foremost, but if you can find a good commentary to to check out some of the things that you've studied or learned, uh, they're they're typically always valuable. Mm-hmm. 
Jeff, so as you know, I love this study. So we'll continue the next time we get together. We will do part two of 20 Christian Essentials. So 501 is going to last a little bit longer than one hour, right? Correct. So we will uh, we will do a little summary of um, 501, what we've done today, just to jog your memory, and then we'll uh, jump into the last 10. Uh, we can give a little tease if we want uh, in the remaining uh, minute, because when we start, we'll do Incarnation. Then we'll do atonement for sin, resurrection, the gospel, salvation. Which, by the way, just hold on for yeah, a second. Yeah. Resurrection, that's a key one, right? Because without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. So all from the incarnation through the gospel, these are all kind of related to this concept that Christ died and rose again. So, Amen. And then keep going. Uh, then salvation, and then we will talk about assurance, then the Holy Spirit, then Christ's return, resurrection and judgment, and then we'll end with eternity. It's going to be a wonderful study. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you bet. A, uh, people love this. I love it. You know, there's the doctrine is important. We are to guard our doctrine very closely, so Amen. it's important. Yeah, thanks. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for being with me and spending time with Jeff and I this hour. Uh, I just want to say how much I appreciate you and how much I love spending time with you, and I hope... You have a wonderful night. Enjoy your dinner. Get a good night's sleep. And I'll look forward to spending time with you tomorrow where I will have Bill T. Arnold on the show. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.